Hello and welcome to the Women in Leadership podcast. I'm Angie Mazzetti. And in this episode, a topic close to our hearts, women in politics. You'll so often see where there's a TD, you know, canvassing in advance of an election or even a local councillor. The person coordinating the volunteers is a woman. The person dropping the leaflets is a woman. The person organising people back at the constituency office who's going where, when, etc. is a woman. Neve Gallagher, co-founder of Women for Election, is the guest this week on the podcast. Early on, Neve and co-founder Michelle O'Donnell Keating noticed that while these women were the backbone of many political campaigns, they were rarely on the ticket. There's a huge level of involvement, of activism, of knowledge, of engagement, but there is and has been a gap in recognising I've done all those bits of the campaign so actually, why am I also the candidate? And bridging that gap is what Women for Election is all about. Normalising political ambition for women is important, she believes. And there's no shortage of creative, talented women ready to serve and get involved. When a woman stands up, and it's happened on a number of occasions, and said, I've always wanted to be in politics. I've wanted to be a TD or a councillor. But I didn't know how to say it. I was embarrassed in front of my friends, in front of my family, to say... I could be that person. And here I am in this room with 35 women, 50 women, who have exactly the same ambition. I'm normal. It's not just about getting more women into the Dáil and local government for the sake of it, she believes. It's about how that affects the formation of policy, a place where women's voices are frequently missing. We've gone from 16% up to 22 That's big progress but it's nowhere near where we need to be. We now need to look at 30, and after 30, we need to go to 40 and 50, because unless we have that balance in terms of our decision-making, it's not going to filter down. Despite the progress made to date in getting more women elected, there's still a job of work to be done. For the goal of equal representation to become a reality, we're all going to have to dig deep which is why Women for Election is launching a crowdfunding campaign. Our ambition for the crowdfunding campaign is to be the first successful political crowdfunding campaign in Ireland and to be able to bring that story then internationally in terms of how can you raise money to get more women elected. I began by asking Neve why co-founder Michelle O'Donnell Keating and herself got Women for Election off the ground in the first place. Well, Michelle and I set up Women for Election uh, almost by accident. We got together in 2009 after there'd been a vote on the Lisbon Treaty in Ireland, and it was a no vote, and the largest proportion of those who voted no were women. Um, and we felt, I suppose, as, as, as pro-Europeans, which we are, um, that Europe has done an enormous amount, actually, for women as a group, in terms of the legislation that's come in, and that it was worthwhile putting together a campaign to communicate that uh, for a second campaign when it was announced. So Michelle and I put together a group called Women for Europe. Uh, we got ourselves trained up in the treaty and we trained up another kind of 10 or 15 women. And we offered ourselves as speakers to women's groups around the country um, to advocate for a yes vote or be part of a panel and so on. And we travelled up and down the country. We were both working in other jobs, but we did this in the evenings, the mornings, whenever we could. And over about four or five months, we met between us about 5,000 women. Uh, we were in kind of small women's groups in Hedford and Galway. We were in big country women's association meetings, you name it, um, talking about the treaty. And what we realised through those meetings was actually, um, yeah, lots of women were interested in the treaty. That's why they came out. They were interested in European politics. But they were much more interested in national politics, talking about local and national issues, and really understanding better how they might get involved. 
And I suppose we realised from that kind of tour, I suppose, around the country, that there was such a low number of women in Irish politics, but it wasn't because they couldn't get in or they didn't want to be in. It was that there was some kind of lack of understanding around what is required to move from being interested in politics to being active in politics. And a lot of the women we met didn't have the inclination um, to just go and knock on the local party HQ door uh, or talk to somebody locally in a, in, a, in a group. They wanted to explore a little bit more before making that commitment. So they were missing that exploratory space. And we thought, what we need here is an organisation that is completely nonpartisan, that is a place where women who are interested in politics can go explore that interest, meet other women that are similar, identify whether actually um, they they really do have that drive uh, to run or to play a different role um, and, and, and to kind of put that together. So that was how Women for Election was born. And we would always say born out of demand, really, from the women we met rather than something we just uh, came up with. When was that? So, that was in, so the Lisbon uh, campaign was in 2009 uh, and in 2010 we started working on Women for Election and what we did in that year, Michelle and I, was we uh, spent a little bit of time, we did loads of desk research uh, looking at are there organisations like this, are there organisations that bring together women of different parties, are there organisations that train women for public life what kind of networks exist internationally and do they work um, and we travelled to the States both of us for, for a reasonable amount of time and worked with uh, the Women's Campaign School at Yale uh, the White House Project Emily's List the Barbara Lee Family Foundation all of whom do varieties of what it is that Women for Election now provide and we put together I suppose um, a really well researched proposal in terms of what we could do and then we went out there uh, shaking the begging bowl um, because we knew you know, you can't do it on a shoestring and you can't do it as we'd done Women for Europe between 6 and 9 in the morning and 6 and 9 at night. We had to put some structure around it. Um, and it took about a year for us to manage to raise the funds to, to give up our jobs and run it. And it was in 2011 when we applied to Social Entrepreneurs Ireland and we won €200,000 from them, which was what led us, I suppose, stop this being a hobby uh, and become a job. No mean achievement. No. <laughs> so no. take it, where has it gone from there? So since then, so I suppose like anything, um, I think success breeds success. So once social entrepreneurs were on board as a supporter, we were then supported by the Joseph Rowntree Charitable Trust, by the Community Foundation for Ireland, uh, by the Ireland Funds, and by a host of other kind of small uh, grant makers. So we were able, uh, between 2012 and 2016, which was our last general election, to build a really good organisation um, that could provide training, mentoring and support to women at any stage of their political journey. So what that looked like in practice uh, was immediately on, on launching, we formally launched at the beginning of 2012, we launched what we call our Inspire programme. And Inspire is a one-day training for women who are interested in that bridge from interest to action. So what it does is it uh, runs sessions on campaigns, on confidence and on communications. And the women hear from uh, a woman who has operated at ministerial level and a woman who's a local councillor. So they get a real variety of perspectives on politics and a real sense of the hard skills um, that they need to start thinking about their election campaign. But also they sit in a room with somewhere between 40 and 60 other women who've got up at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning to come out to this programme and they meet and network with other politically minded women, um, which for lots of women who've now been on the programme, they say that was the most valuable piece, was realising it's not just them, 
that actually have this ambition, but that this ambition is actually quite a normal uh, thing uh, for people with, with, with an interest in politics and public service. So we've run Inspire, I'd say at this stage, maybe 15 times, um, and we have had uh, up over four, 500 women through that one day program. Um, a number of those women, um, so we ran it in 2012 and 2013, and a, a portion of the alumni then contested the 2014 local elections and a number of them got elected. So that was our first kind of test point, I suppose, in, in 2014. is um, not our only programme. We also run Equip, which is a three-day residential campaign school. Um, I mentioned to you the Women's Campaign School at Yale, which Michelle and I did. It's a cross-party training programme for one week at Yale in July every year. And Equip is very much modelled on that. So you arrive and you start working the minute you arrive and, and you, you work solid for three days on your campaign. So we would say on Inspire you learn what it is that you need to do to, to put together uh, the bones of a successful campaign, but on Equip you do it. So you put together your budget, you work on your constituency plan, you develop your volunteer team, you work with someone in media in terms of the back and forth the testing. All of that kind of really practical uh, campaign material. So. Sounds quite detailed. Really detailed. Uh, maximum of 25 participants. Um, we usually go for about about 20. Um, and a lot of group work um, in terms of putting together a plan for, for a fictional campaign. So that's our equipped programme. And really those who attend that are candidates, serious candidates uh, in, in an election. Um, and then our third programme is called Inform. And again, that was built out of demand. Um, it runs at university level. And it is to support young women who want to put themselves forward for a leadership role. So often that's a student union uh, politics role, but in many cases actually, when we've advertised across universities, we get women who want to run for positions in clubs and societies, uh, or who are leaders in sport. So the rationale for it is very much around the earlier you contest an election, the more likely you are to contest again. So actually normalising for young women, putting themselves forward, putting their face on a poster, getting on the ballot, building a team around them, um, and, and, and I suppose positioning themselves as leaders from a very early stage. Is it difficult for women to get outside of their comfort zone? Because it's, it's not familiar territory for very many women. Do you find it, you know, there's a bit of a push, or when does that awakening happen with women? The political awakening? I mean, what we found quite interesting in the political space is that all of the women that we've met, even if they're not candidates, are very much front and centre in campaigns. So you'll so often see where there's a TD, you know, canvassing in advance of an election or even a local councillor. The person coordinating the volunteers is a woman. The person dropping the leaflets is a woman. The person organising people back at the constituency office who's going where, when, etc. is a woman. So there's a huge level of involvement, of activism, of knowledge, of engagement. But there is and has been a gap in recognising I've done all those bits of the campaign so actually why am not I also the candidate? And I think part of that is down to the culture of our politics in the past, um, what was seen as the norm, what was the women's role, what was the man's role um, and I think as I see it that's starting to change and it is changing. Um, but there will always, of course, be people who want to be behind the scenes and there's a value in that. And also, we would say on most of our training programmes, 
it's a great place to cut your teeth. If you can manage someone else's campaign, if you can be the number two, what better way to prepare for when in five years' time you put yourself forward? Um, and women are great supporters of other women, absolutely. usually. Yeah. But is it about ambition and ambition being kind of like a dirty word, like you're supposed to just be a nice girl and just sit in the corner and not put your hand up? You know, but what, what happens like when you, when you do step up? Is, is ambition considered something like negative for women but not for men? I can't possibly say yes to that because I think ambition is a fabulous word and I think it's a really positive word and I think that everybody should be ambitious for themselves, male, female, young, old, it, it doesn't matter. Um, I think looking at kind of business research and business literature, um, there is that sense that you know women who are kind of tagged as ambitious are seen negatively within business. They're seen as kind of elbows out, you know, no, taking up the ladder behind them, all of those different things, whereas men who are seen as ambitious are seen as really positive, great leader, you know, the guy you want to get behind. Um, but I think it's really about normalising that word for women rather than kind of saying it's, it's a word that we shouldn't apply to women. Um, and I think for women politically to say that they're ambitious and for women to say openly that they want to get into politics, that it's an ambition that they have, that it's, that it's something they aspire to, that's a huge ambition of mine because one of the things um, at our programmes that, that has really, has, I suppose, that I've felt very personally as a positive that we have created, that we didn't intend to create, is when a woman stands up and it's happened on a number of occasions and said, I've always wanted to be in politics. I've wanted to be a TD or a councillor but I didn't know how to say it. I was embarrassed in front of my friends, in front of my family to say, I could be that person. And here I am in this room with 35 women, 50 women who have exactly the same ambition. I'm normal, you know? So I think there is, there is something about kind of naming it and being proud to name it and, and having it as an, as an aspiration, you know, for, for students to be saying, I want to be a politician. How often do you hear it? Very rarely. What about getting support from men, husbands, dads, partners, Brothers, is that important or should we not pay any attention to the men at all? Really important. Um, I think for any politician of any gender, um, but, you know, particularly women entering this, this uh, women being a minority in this space, when anybody, one of our trainers um, puts up a photo at the start of a programme, um, and it's a photo actually of Alan Kelly, who's in uh, the Labour Party, for when he was running for the European elections. And there's a whole load of posters of Alan Kelly, number one, along a wall. And there's his wife on a stool, and there's his small baby child at the time on her shoulder. And the title of the slide is It's a Family Affair. And I think anybody who is running, particularly in a national election, but actually increasingly in local elections too, everybody does have to be on board because it does intrude on your life um, and it requires you to play a particular role publicly and it's extremely difficult to play that role without the support of your family. Are you ambitious to see women go beyond the 30% tipping point in the Dáil? Do you think it would make a difference to get at least 30% women involved in, in the government, in both the Dáil and in Cabinet? Would it make a difference to go beyond 30%? I think it would make an enormous difference. I think that we have to aspire for balance. And we have to, you know, 50-50 is what we aspire to. But actually that number in itself is even in a little bit unnatural. Um, you know, 
meeting recently with um, a gentleman called Rick Zednick, who's the CEO of a, a, an organisation called Women Political Leaders, which runs a network for women who are elected globally. Um, and he was explaining, and we've seen this, where countries that are successful, namely the Scandinavian countries, the balance moves between 40-60, women-men. Sometimes there's more men, sometimes there's more women, but it's always kind of in between that number. And I think that's what we should aspire to. It's never going to be exactly 50-50. It has to be more than 30. I think now we've gone from 16% up to 22. That's big progress, but it's nowhere near where we need to be. We now need to look at 30, and after 30, we need to go to 40 and 50, because unless we have that balance in terms of our decision-making, it's not going to filter down in into policy that affects all of us in our day-to-day lives. So so my ambition would be uh, much closer to 50-50 than, than to 30. Well, we've got the carrot and the stick approach. I mean, the uh, the stick approach is the quota system at the moment. Are there other carrots that we could be uh, incentivizing uh, the political parties in particular to, uh, or just the system generally? What are the carrots that we could put out there to encourage more women or to encourage the parties to encourage more women to to take part in politics and go for election? Well, I think the parties, and I think they're beginning to recognise this after the last election, which is when women run, women win. So women make up half the electors. I don't think that women vote for women just for the sake of them being a woman. And in fact, at Women for Election, we encourage people to vote, find a woman who aligns with your values if you can, but vote along your values. Um, But I think the parties recognised at the last election there was some concern around the quota legislation that there were going to be women on the ticket who weren't going to perform. And it didn't happen. So actually, whether you put a a woman or a man on the ticket, you put a good candidate on the ticket, and that can just... It's equally possible for that to be a woman as a man. So that's a big learning for the parties, where they had women on the ticket, they got elected at the same um, sort of ratio as as, as men. Um, that's a big carrot. In terms of women encouraging them to go forward, I think it's about keeping this issue really front and centre on the agenda, uh, creating some kind of sense of obligation among women. And I'm talking about the women who are involved you know, as I said, running the constituency office, dropping the leaflets, uh, supporting the, the, the kind of volunteer effort and so on. They're the women that should be thinking, I could be a candidate. And unless they're putting themselves forward at convention, putting their hand up in party meetings and saying, yeah, I'll do it. You know, we're not going to get enough women out there with experience. So I think there does need to be a bit of a sense of obligation. Um, and that comes from from the kind of the, the, the public discussion about this issue and a demand from voters to say well look I want the option to vote for a woman what we used to come across at the beginning with women for election was people saying to us I'd love to vote for a woman but in my constituency there's only one woman on the ticket and she's as far away from my political views as you could imagine and what we saw at the last election was there there was I think either two or three constituencies that had no women very few Um, and in most constituencies there was a smattering so you actually had the option Um, of finding a woman that was close to your political views, if not directly aligned, and that's where we need to get to. Um, Are you ambitious for women for election? Have you any other uh, plans in place at the moment? Absolutely. Um, I suppose when we started in 2012, our focus was on the 2014 local and European elections. How many women can we support to contest those elections and win? So we did that. And then those women who got elected, we supported them before they went into the council chamber by running a training programme for them 
in advance of the kind of their, their, their first elected role. Then we started focusing on the general election and we supported women who were going to contest that election to become TDs. Now a number of those women are TDs. We're seeing, I suppose, the women who are our alumni move through the stages and progress and develop. So what we're looking at now is a situation where we are just about to get out of the traps again for the 2019 local and European elections. So we'll start that cycle again um, and we want to train at least 300 women to contest those elections, uh, particularly uh, the local elections. But actually simultaneous with that, we want to provide supports for the women who've been elected. So what we hear in many cases from women who, who, who've been there and who've been many, many years in politics is that once you arrive, it can be quite a lonely place. And I expect many men would say the same thing, that when you're looking for peer support or you're looking for um, professional development, actually, that you get in many other jobs, there isn't an opportunity. And I would be ambitious to think that the women elected in Ireland should be the best politicians in the world and that there are ways that women for election can support them to do that by providing access to international networks, by working with organisations like Women Political Leaders, I mentioned, to, to bring them together with their international peers to share learning and experience. Um, so, for example, last year we brought Nicola Sturgeon over for an internal in-camera event with elected women where our TDs and senators had the opportunity to ask her very specific policy questions, very particular questions in relation to her leadership and take advice from her. So those are the kinds of things, I think, providing different levels of support to women at every stage of the political journey, not just to get them elected, but once they are elected so that they can be the best politicians um, possible. Tell me about your crowdfunding initiative. Sounds very exciting. Well, we're excited about our crowdfunding initiative uh, because it's what's going to, to enable us, I suppose, to support these 300 women to get on the ballot at the next local election. I suppose, as I said, we had all this uh, funding at the very beginning of our, of our organisation um, and we were extremely lucky. Uh, but now we have to keep raising money to do this all over again. And what we think is that actually it's the women and men of Ireland who benefit from this. So it's the women and men of Ireland really who should support us to deliver it. So what we're doing is learning from the great political uh, fundraising campaigns in the US. Um, and we're putting together uh, what we think is the first political crowdfunding initiative in Ireland. So we'll launch on the 15th of June in Twitter. We want to raise €50,000 to train 300 women. We will have a selection of exciting perks. So we've got badges, we've got beanies, we've got bags, and we've got some experiences, which would be really quite unique, uh, but very aligned with our mission. So if you're a woman who's interested in politics, or a man, uh, and who's motivated to see change in this area, you'll be able to, to buy, if you're that way inclined, an experience um, that's something a little bit different, I suppose, from the mainstream and that will connect you with our organisation and with what it is that we can do. Um, and, and, and by doing that, you will help us to achieve our goal. So we'll have a 20-day campaign, mainly online, uh, hopefully with, with a lot of media take-up too. And, you know, we hope that it's going to not only raise the money, but raise awareness about our organisation and connect us to a new audience. We've identified that we haven't got as many young women as part of our network and by that I mean women in their in their early 20s so we're now on Instagram we've always been on Facebook and Twitter we're really trying to reach out through that network uh, to engage those women but I think our ambition for the crowdfunding campaign is to be the first successful political crowdfunding campaign in Ireland and to be able to bring that story then internationally in terms of how can you raise money to get more women elected 
And are you expecting any particular size of donation or where do you want the donations to come from? So we've we've got a whole range. Um, I think the smallest donation starts at €10 and you can be a super supporter of Women for Election for €5,000. So wherever your, uh, I suppose, your purse lies, there's an option. Um, But there would be corporate donations of £5,000. Can you get those? They they can. we, We could, but I would expect they would be from individuals more than corporates. In the past, um, our donations, so we, we run something called the Countess Markovitz Circle, which is a group of individual women who make a large donation to us every year uh, to run our organisation. And many of them are women who would say, I'm not going to run for politics myself, but I really believe in the outcome, what you're trying to achieve. And my way of making a contribution is through opening my purse. So... I have a feeling that some of those donations may come from individuals. Um, but the other thing is there's kind of 30 euro, 50 euro, 75 euro, 150 euro, all aligned with a perk. So in a way, I think somebody might go online and say, I'm going to give 20 euro, but they might see actually for 35 euro, they could be part of a group activity. That would be fun. And they might then make that leap to 35 euro. But, you know, we've done some sums and we've looked at, we've 6,000 Twitter followers. If every Twitter follower gave us 10 euro, we would raise 60,000. So... You know, it's not going to take lots of big donations. It's about more people giving small amounts for us to achieve this. And people putting their money where their mouth is. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, uh, just to look at the, the negative side, if I might, just for a minute. Um, a lot of women, I believe, are put off getting into politics because of, you know, what happens on Twitter and what happens in social media. The trolling, the negative uh, following, the comments, the horrendous sexism that's out there. What advice do you give to women how to combat? Do you ignore it? Do you feed it? What do you do? What's the, what's the advice? What's the common advice? We run, um, on our Equip programme for candidates, we run a session on this. Um, we bring a, a trainer over from the UK, a woman called Nan Sloan, who runs the Centre for Women and Democracy in the UK and also trains the Labour women candidates for MP. And you will know that the British press is, is much nastier uh, in fact, than the Irish press. So, so even leave the trolls aside, they, they, they deal with something on a different level. Um, and Nan does an exercise with the candidates to, I suppose, have them experience on the spot what it would feel like to have something in the newspaper that was so negative about you and that would bring your family into, into the fray. So really to put them in the worst possible situation. And the reason she does that is because for many of the candidates at that programme, they're contesting either national or European election. They will be in the news. And her view is that they need to know that this is possible and and likely, unfortunately, in the the role that they've chosen, and they need to be prepared. Um, So I think the most important piece of advice for anybody is to know that this is, unfortunately, an occupational hazard. Uh, It's a risk. On social media, it is happening all the time, and it's, it's happening to politicians at every level. So in the first male instance, and male and female, yeah. in the first instance, it's to be aware that it is going to happen and to be prepared um, and to have rules yourself in terms of how you deal with it um, and to have rules internally with your family in terms of how you deal with it um, and and when you need to disengage. We always recommend that um, you don't respond to trolls. I mean, it, it, it's very basic. There are a number of keyboard warriors out there who particularly go against women um, and, and many of them are anonymous. The comments that they make hurt um, and we talk to women in our group who, who've experienced them and, and, and are often very upset. And I think men get upset by it as well, by the way. I don't think it's a gender factor. Um, 
But our advice is very much not to engage in conversation because it, it, it's not a, it's not a place where you can win um, and it's never positive. But we do think that it's actually the preparation and the awareness and the recognition that can help because it, it's when it blindsides you and it, it's when it takes you by surprise that it can be very challenging. Um, we've had women in our network um, who have spoken very openly about this. So uh, Regina Doherty, for example, has spoken about how she came off Twitter uh, due to a particularly stressful experience and we find that really useful as well. So, for example, uh, when we run sessions on media or when we're running advanced sessions, we would ask the political speakers to address this issue with the aspiring candidates and just to have the conversation about things that they've experienced and how they've dealt with it, because people deal with it very differently. Um, but, but really, I suppose, at a very basic level, it's be prepared and don't engage. Just plain devil's advocate. What do you say to people who say that, well, if women really wanted gender equality, well, we'd already have it, but you know, maybe women just don't want it. I think it's completely untrue um, because I suppose any any conversation that I have with any woman and actually also men, I mean, this is the piece I have to keep on hammering home. Some of our greatest supporters are men. It's an absolute no-brainer to have gender equality, particularly in Dáil. So when we're talking about where all of the decisions are made, about how we all live our lives, you know, that's where we need both genders absolutely represented. I think the reason we haven't had it in politics is by no means down to individual women themselves. There's so much research done into this. And, you know, I don't want to labour on this research that, you know, many people interested in the issue know, but the, it summarises the five C's. And these five C's are barriers that women face to entering politics. Um, and they are culture. Our political and cu- culture in Ireland has been hugely male-dominated. So for a woman to enter into that, um, you know, Forget the last five or six years. Twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, it was ex- extremely difficult. Um, candidate selection procedures directly linked to culture. For a woman to get selected as a candidate, it was unusual and very difficult to even access that. So you know, there's a reason why women weren't getting on the ticket. And then we have confidence, we've childcare, and we've got cash. Three other big barriers for women that didn't have access to cash resources. It's only in recent years that women are working at the same level as as, as men in Ireland, but also. They didn't have access to the networks. They weren't going down to the golf club and doing a fundraiser or whatever it was. And where they were doing fundraisers, they weren't for themselves. You know, they were for a cause locally. So it was difficult to access the cash. Um, Childcare remains something that women predominantly do in Ireland. And that, that makes it difficult to go out canvassing and to have a political career. And then confidence is the issue that women for election address through our training programmes. We do hear time and time again that women aren't confident to run for politics. Um, I I challenge the confidence barrier because what I see coming across our training programs are women who are enormously confident. They are operating at a at a at a level in their communities, um, in their jobs, whatever those may be, but they've never run for politics before. So quite naturally they're not confident to run for politics. They need to they need to establish that. Um, but they're not by any means underconfident in the other sense. So I, I think the reason we don't have equality is multifaceted and complex and the five C's are there but it's certainly not down to women and I think now and at the last election with the quota you really saw it political parties used to say we can't find the women and then did the quota and the women were lining up 
to be selected. So that shows you the women are there and now it's about getting on the ballot paper and getting elected. I think the political parties are actually getting more conscious of even the visuals because you would often see before, you know, just a row of men in a photograph or donutted by men. Now they're actually, there's a bit of colour coming in there because they've women in the picture, quite literally. Yeah, absolutely. And women have to be in the picture because women need to see other women as role models and they need to see them you know sometimes I've heard women being criticised for being in the picture because they say oh look there's that woman uh, standing there and she's the only woman and they're all men and she's only there for optics and I, I refute that because I think if that woman doesn't stand there there's all men in that photo and next time there'll be a second woman and there'll be a third woman so it's really critical that those, those role models are there really really important before we finish tell me your own five pearls of wisdom that you'd recommend for women with ambition to lead I mean, I looked at these a little bit like some of them are kind of mottos in terms of, of, of how I, I try to live my life. Um, and the first one is, um, do what you say you'll do. It's very basic, but I think there's something about in life, if you make a commitment to somebody or to do something, that you deliver on it. Um, and I think it has actually played into how Michelle and I have managed to build women for election from a kitchen table organisation to an established organisation because we made certain commitments to deliver on certain things and we stuck to them and we persisted and we kept on going and now there we are as an established organisation so just do what you say you'll do is, is key to me. The other thing I'd say is give it a go so you know we've had now more than a thousand women through our various different programmes and people come tentatively you know to the door and they're thinking I've always been kind of interested and I don't know but I'm here to learn and maybe it's not for me and and I always think just give it a go you know if it's not for you go out there become a volunteer test it out and then say it didn't work out I didn't like it but at least I tried and you know I never realized until we started running the programs how many people are, are sort of on the sidelines and they're teetering and they could jump and actually they could jump in and they could jump out again but just jump so I would say really give it a go I've always got to say something about money because I've spent the last nearly 10 years fundraising for this issue Um, and I've met so many people who support Women for Election, who support our mission, who support more women in politics Um, and I will always ask them for money and they don't always give it to me but I think we need a recognition in this country that things don't run on thin air and increasingly things don't run with government funding Um, and running for politics is an expensive business so I would say put your money where your mouth is if you support this issue don't just give money for women for election that's not why I use this as a pearl of wisdom I would say support a female candidate she's got to print her leaflets she's got to put petrol in her car to drive around the constituency she's got to do all of those things so actually Money is important in this space and we need to get better at seeing politics as a reasonable area for donation uh, and not as a dirty word. And as an honourable profession. An honourable profession, exactly. A really kind of personal, a personal one really about just kind of day to day, um, I think is is something that, that I'm trying to apply to myself, but I think is really important for female politicians, is about knowing your own energy and managing it. Um, so it is a world where it's so possible to burn out. You can be on breakfast radio, you can be back home to drop your kids to school, you can be sitting in meetings all morning and you can be out of the constituency eating sandwiches at nine o'clock at night. It's so important to look at your day and your week and your month and your year and know where you're going to have some time for you, have some time for your family, carve that out and be strict about it. And I think knowing and understanding how you use your own energy um, is, is really important 
to success and to long-term success in a game like this. The final one would probably have to be, it's a little bit related to the put your money where your mouth is, giving back. Give something back. And it's about supporting the next generation of women. So I find it strange now that younger women ask me for advice because I don't think I'm that old. Um, And I'm also all the time asking people for advice. But we have so many young women contacting us at Women for Election looking for internships, looking for advice, or, you know, just how they might get involved. And I like to think that I give that a good amount of my time because it's so important um, for the next generation. So I would say to any woman who has achieved any level of success in their career that the most important thing is to turn around and see can I share that with somebody else and help somebody else along on their journey. And that was Niamh Gallagher, the co-founder of Women for Election, who are launching their crowdfunding initiative to enable more women from all political parties to achieve their political ambitions. And you heard her there. If you believe in something, then support it and do what you say you'll do. If you make a commitment, deliver on it. And the crowdfunding initiative is your chance to do just that. That's all from the podcast for this week. And remember, you can contact us to find out more about sponsorship or to suggest a guest via the website, womeninleadership.ie. Our email address is info at womeninleadership.ie. Until the next week, from me, Angie Mazzetti, and all the team, goodbye and take care.